This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee today. Uh, I'm Robbie Lashua, and I'm excited about our topic today. We're going to be looking into the issue of hell and why people go there. And um, what about people who never heard of Christ? What about so many people in the world who didn't even have opportunity to believe in Jesus? What, what happens to them? Is that fair? Is the exclusivism in Christianity uh, something that's an argument against, uh, against our religion? Um, but before we get into that, uh, I did want to mention a few things to you uh, as our listeners that I think are, are important. Uh, the first is that if you have any coffee tips, that you uh, would like us to share on the air, uh, we would love for you to email those in to us. And as a way of incentivizing you to do that, uh, we will send you a free Christ Culture and Coffee coffee mug uh, if we use the tip that you email in to us. Uh, you, can, you can give it to us on uh, Facebook or email, whatever's easiest for you. But if you are going to email it in, you can send it to my email address, Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y, at dscchurch.com. And if we use it on the air, like I said, we will send you out. We will mail you a free Christ Culture and Coffee coffee mug that you can brag to your friends about having um, and tell them that there is no way to buy them because you have to send in the coffee tip in order to get them. The second thing that I wanted to make you aware of is that on October 20th, uh, we are hosting a Deep Faith Apologetics Conference. Uh, This conference is for students, so junior high through college, and it's going to be held at New Life Community Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, I'm really excited about the the conference this year because it's going to be themed around cults. Uh, We're going to be talking about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Wiccan um, and other types of paganism and explaining to the students um, why these truth claims uh, fail, why they don't meet up with reality, and also how to talk with people who have fallen into those cults or fallen into those false ideologies and explain to them the truth and present the gospel in ways that are compelling and will help them see who Jesus really is. So if you're out there and you would um, be interested in attending our Deep Faith Apologetics Conference, we would love to have you. Again, it's going to be on October 20th at New Life Community Church out in Scottsdale. Uh, You can purchase tickets at deepfaithapologetics.com. I'll also put that link in the show notes, so if you just click on those, it'll take you directly there. But um, we want to make this conference affordable. For people, uh, so what what it is is we charge fifteen dollars, and this is an all day conference from nine a.m. to five p.m. You will hear six plenary talks. There will be multiple breakout sessions, and we also will provide lunch for you from Chick Fil A. So for fifteen dollars, it is a great deal. It's a steal if you ask me, um, and we would love to have you join us for that. Uh, If you do wait a little bit longer, if you wait past September 15th, the price goes up to $20. So I would suggest getting those tickets as quickly as possible, securing your spot at the Deep Faith Apologetics Conference, and uh, bring out some other people that you know. Invite people to this. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time of learning and of seeing how good God is and just the, the immense arguments that we have, the, the the stability that we have in Christianity through evidence to stand on when we're talking with people who have believed in lies and believed in falsehoods. So please join us at the Deep Faith Apologetics Conference. Uh, 
Lastly, uh, if you would do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast, whether you're on iTunes or on Spotify, that would do us um, a lot of good. It helps us get more notoriety, but also uh, I want you to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything that we're doing here. I've got a lot of great interviews lined up uh, in the near future, and uh, you're not going to want to miss it. <laughs> so if you subscribe and if it's if it's on your phone, if it's on your computer, it reminds you to listen. It's just helpful so that you don't miss any of the great talks that, that we do here, um, but especially some of these great interviews that are coming up in the future. All right, well, with that, we're going to move into talking about our coffee tip. We always like to share coffee tips here on Christ Culture and Coffee. And uh, this last week uh, has been really humid and hot here in in Phoenix. I am looking forward to things cooling off. Uh, but my wife, uh, like I've shared before, she she makes cold brew coffee and puts it in our refrigerator. It's nice. We have this huge jar of cold brew coffee in there. Uh, but one of the things that's always bugged me about cold brew coffee, where, wherever you get it, if you get it at a coffee shop, you make it yourself, uh, you want to put ice in it uh, to keep it cool, right? That's that's the idea. You take it with you, you keep it cold like any other cold beverage. Um, but the problem is I like strong coffee. So if you don't drink it fast enough, the ice eventually melts and you're left with watered down cold brew. And to be honest, I don't know if there's anything worse in the world. I mean, it is I, I, watered down coffee is is horrible. If I can see through it, I don't usually like drinking it because I like it strong. Um, but there is a solution to this problem. Simple solution. I'm sure many of you have done this or heard of it. But what you can do is you make a, a batch of cold brew coffee. And then uh, pour some of that cold brew into an ice tray and make coffee ice cubes. Very simple way to keep your coffee cold and not water it down with, with regular frozen water ice cubes. Uh, you use coffee frozen ice cubes. Uh, it's very helpful. I love doing that. When I remember to do it, it's amazing because it keeps the coffee tasting great, not watered down, but it also keeps it nice and cold, especially when it's so hot and humid outside. So coffee tip for today, make ice cubes out of coffee and it'll keep your coffee strong and not watered down. All right, well, today's topic on uh, hell and on um, the the exclusive claims of Christianity and what about all of those who've never heard, uh, this actually came from a listener. One of, one of my students uh, wrote to me, and he said, uh, Robbie, I've got a commonly asked question from some of my guys on Christianity. It goes like this. How can you believe in a faith system that condemns a majority of humanity and only saves a few? They're kind of touching on the nature of hell, God's justice, and attacking the fact that all humans would be damned who weren't Jewish the thousands of years before Jesus. A lot of people uh, use hell to avoid Christianity, uh, and they also think that they should choose whatever faith they want based on what seems most fair to them. And Christianity oftentimes seems unfair to people. That is an unjust thing. If God were truly loving, wouldn't he just save everybody? If God really cared, what about those who've never heard? They didn't even have an opportunity. Therefore, he's unjust, he's unfair, and uh, they don't want to believe in Christianity because they view it as being unfair. Uh, this, is a, this is a big question, um, but I think one of the things we've got to understand with it is that 
when people make this judgment, they're not accounting for all of the facts. They're not understanding the complete Christian worldview in regards to hell and in regards to the unevangelized. So today, that's what we are going to be talking about. Um, the first, the first uh, bullet point we want to check out is why does Christianity only save a few and condemn many? Well, I think this is kind of a, a, a weird question because I don't read anywhere in Scripture that Christianity condemns so many and only saves a few people. What I do read is that there's only one way to be saved, right? And sometimes people misconstrue that since there's only one way, since it's the narrow gate, only a few people when no – um, it's just the only way. It's the only gate. And there's a ton of other ways that you that you can't be saved. There's a lot of false religions out there that aren't powerful enough to save. And there's only one way that you can be saved, and that's through Jesus. So in Christianity, uh, we believe that everybody has sinned, and that means everybody is guilty. So we're not saying that people are punished and, and are sent to hell because they didn't have right belief. We are saying that people are sent to hell because they are guilty of cosmic crime against God. Uh, Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, not even one, right? Romans 3.23 says that uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We believe that everybody fits that category. Everybody has sinned. And now there's only one person who can fix that, and that is the God-man, Jesus. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross taking on our sin, taking on the wrath of God that we deserved for our crimes, and paying for our penalty, paying for our punishment. That's what he was doing on the cross. Now, uh, we have scripture that, that talks about this. Acts 4.12 clearly states, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, Jesus is the only possible means to salvation. It's not that, oh, you like Muhammad and I like Jesus and, uh, you know, whatever way you want to choose, we'll all eventually get to the same place. That is not what Christianity teaches. Uh, we believe in, in what's called Christian particularism, that there is a particular way for people to be saved, and that is only exclusively through Jesus, through belief in what he did for you. So it, it's not that you don't have... Um, uh, you don't agree with us and therefore you get condemned, you're already on your way to separation from God. Your sin has, has made you guilty. You need to get saved from the position you've been born into as a, as a human being, as, as a part of the human race. We are born guilty. Uh, William Lane Craig says that the universality of sin and the uniqueness of Christ's atoning death entail that there is no salvation apart from Christ. The problem isn't if you don't believe in us, God doesn't like you and sends you away. The problem is there's no other way to have your penalty paid. Jesus is the only way to have your sin removed. And now a lot of people will say, well, that seems so narrow. That just seems so um, 
uh, arrogant to say that your religion is the only way, especially considering how many people throughout the world aren't Christians, right? And this is what has led to the belief in what's called religious pluralism. Uh, That's the view that there are many religions and many ways of salvation and many different methods to be saved. Now, again, uh, we don't believe that at all because there is nobody else who lived a perfect life who sacrificed their perfection in order to take on our imperfection and take on our penalty and die for, for what we deserved on the cross. No, nobody else did that. No other religion has that. Now, what people will say is, well, one religion can't be the only right religion because there's so many different kinds. There are so many different types. And so you're telling me that all these other types of religions are wrong? They can't believe that. And so the argument basically goes that because there's such religious diversity, then all of these religions must be true. But that doesn't follow at all, right? Um, Now, they all could be false. Christianity could be false. All of them could be completely wrong about what's real. But what we should be looking for is to figure out which one is actually true, which one has the best evidence for it, which one actually fits with the way the world really is, not just my feelings about it, but with what's really out there. That's how we investigate truth claims. Not what do I feel internally, but what's going on out in reality. And again, I think Christianity has the best answers for that in every aspect of reality. So just because there's a lot of diverse religions doesn't mean that they all must be true. Uh, They all could be false, but they all can't be true, especially when they uh, contradict one another, right? Um, Muslims and Christians both can't be right about Jesus. Christians believe that Jesus is God. Muslims don't believe that. They just believe he was a prophet from Allah. So both could be wrong, but both can't be right. That's how reality works. That's how logic works. Now, uh, some people will argue with you and say that Christians can't be right. This exclusive claim of Jesus, it's invalid because of the manner in which you have become a Christian. And and people have said this to me before. Um, What they say is that, you know, Robbie, you're only a Christian because you were born in uh, 20th century America. And that was your culture, right? Religious beliefs are cultural, and you're a victim of your culture and of your place of birth. So how is that fair? If Christianity is true, what about the, you know, the man who was born in Saudi Arabia, and he has to be a Muslim, right? That's where, where he was born. That's what he must be. How is that fair? And, and they'll even say, Robbie, if you were born in Saudi Arabia, you wouldn't even be a Christian. You would be a Muslim. And so um, I think there's a couple of things that we can that we can respond to with this. Uh, sometimes I like to respond to people who say this, and they say, "Yeah, you are a religious pluralist because you were born in 20th century America as well in this age of skepticism, and so you are a victim of your cultural beliefs, just like I am." I love arguing that way because they they have nothing to say. If this is the truth claim for everybody, that we're all just victims of our culture, they're a part of that victimization as well. 
They can't get out of that. They have to. Uh, uh, they have to admit that yes, I must believe what I believe because of my uh, geographical birth and because of the time period I was born into. Right? If that's how it works for everybody, the claim has to apply to the skeptic as well. I could also tell them that you know they they'd be a Christian if they were born in, in medieval Europe. So maybe they should think about becoming a Christian, uh, a Christian anyway. But the truth of the matter is where and when you're born has no bearing on what's real. That, that's a big and important point. Where and when you were born has no bearing on what is real. For example, if you were born in 18th century America, you probably would have thought that slavery was permissible, that it was okay to own other people. Now, does that make it right because your culture and your time period and your geographic location said it was okay? Well, no, of course not. Slavery was not okay even when people were practicing it. It was wrong. It's always been wrong because reality is that people are equal because God created us in his image and likeness. And so just because you were born at a certain time and your culture says a certain thing, it doesn't make the truth claim real. It just means people have bought into a lie together. That's that's all that it is. This this would go for uh, Nazi Germany as well. If you were born, you know, in the 30s in in Germany, you, you probably would have gotten swept up into the the Nazism that went on in in the Second World War. Now, did that make it true that that Aryans were a superior race? No, it didn't make it true at all. But just because a bunch of people believe it doesn't make something true. And so the idea that you are a victim of, of where you're born and that your truth is yours and somebody else has truth as well, that's not true. Um, maybe somebody has the truth, but other people have to have lies because there's contradicting claims out there. And so don't let somebody push you into the idea that, oh, you're only a Christian because of where you were born and the time period that you were born into. Um, we can get outside of our culture, and there, there's actually a lot of people who've been born in Saudi Arabia who've become Christians. They're not victims to their geography and to their time period. Uh, there are a lot of people who've grown up in uh, quote-unquote you know, Christian American culture that aren't Christians, that have become atheists or Buddhists. Uh, they're not victims of their geography or of the time they were born either. And so um, when people say this, it's, it's almost as if they're saying that people can't think for themselves. People can't get outside of their culture and see reality. Um, I guess the only people that can do that <laughs> are the people who make this claim, right? They're superior, and for some reason they've gotten outside of their culture and can see clearly. Um, but like I said before, you can just throw it back at them and say, well, you're just a victim of your culture as well, and so y your truth claim is, is no better than my truth claim. So as Christians, we believe that uh, all people have sinned. There's only one person who can get us out of that mess, only one person who can atone for that, and that's Jesus, and that um, all other diversities and other beliefs don't um, mean that Christianity is false. We need to look at the evidences for it to see if it's true or not. And so some people will say, well, what about those who, who don't have an opportunity? What about people who, who are, are in these other cultures who don't get to hear about Jesus? Well, one of the truths of, of our time anyways is that the gospel has spread worldwide. The gospel has, has gone out into the world. Jesus told his disciples to, to go and make disciples of all nations, and those guys did it. 
the 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 mesh the message of of Jesus spread as far as Europe from from Israel right from Jerusalem it spread all the way up uh, through Asia Minor and over into Europe to Africa to India it spread and it's continued to spread over the last 2000 years to the point that there's there's hardly anywhere on earth that hasn't been reached at some point with the gospel now there are places where the gospel has been but it was rejected and so for for a while there hasn't been a, a, a Christian presence, a strong Christian presence, but the gospel has spread uh, to the entire world. So it's not like the idea that what about all the people who've never heard? What about the people who haven't had opportunity? The gospel has spread worldwide. So that that's an important point I think that we can make with people when they're making this claim. And when they say, well, what about those who've never heard? I would say, well, who? Who are these people that you're talking about? Let's, let's get down to specifics. I don't want to just deal in hypotheticals. Let's talk about specifics because the truth is if there is a group of people out there who's never heard the gospel, we should go find them and tell them the gospel. That's, that's our job as Christians. Uh, another point that, that I, I think is important to make is that based on God's character and, and on what Scripture says, we can argue – that God will make sure that those who would believe in him, if given the chance, will have the opportunity to believe in him. And, and this is how I, I break that down. Um, God knows all things. That's what we call God's omniscience. And he doesn't just know all actual things, but he knows all possibilities as well. Uh, in Scripture, Jesus says things like, uh, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen the things you'd seen, they would have implying that he knows possibilities. He knows what people would do in different scenarios. God knows all possibilities. In addition to that, um, Scripture teaches that God loves and desires that all people would believe in Jesus. I want to read a couple of verses here. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to, to come to change their mind and believe in Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 3-6 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. God wants all men to be saved, and Jesus paid the penalty for all. He just asks that you believe that he is the way you're saved, that you trust that he paid your penalty on the cross, and that in doing so, he can offer and gives you eternal life. So, if God knows all possibilities, if God knows all who would believe in Jesus if given the chance, and he desires that all people would come to believe, I think that we can conclude that God will make sure that those who would believe in him will have the opportunity to do so. In fact, we have many examples of this in scripture. You remember the book of Jonah. God sent Jonah to Nineveh 
to the Assyrian people, right? And these people were uh, scary. Uh, they would they would skin their enemies alive. They would make pyramids out of skulls. Uh, it makes sense somewhat when you when you know about the Assyrians why Jonah didn't want to go there. But God knew that some of the the Ninevites would change their mind. They'd repent and and listen to the message of Jonah. And so he sent Jonah to this people group in order to teach them about who God is. We see it in the New Testament too in Acts 8. Remember Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. There's this eunuch, this this Ethiopian, he's going back to Africa and he's traveling on the chariot and he's reading uh, scripture out of the, the book of Isaiah and God sent Philip to him to tell him about who Jesus is because God knew that this man would believe if given the opportunity. We also have Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, right? You remember that? Cornelius, it says, he's a centurion. He's a God-fearing man. And actually, God comes to him in a dream and he says, you need to send for Peter and Peter will come and explain things to you. And so uh, he does and Peter comes to him and he preaches the gospel and Cornelius and everyone in attendance believes in Jesus. God knew that if given the opportunity, Cornelius would respond in a positive way to the gospel. So many have, 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 have had this experience. There are right now, I'm hearing story after story of Muslims coming to know Jesus because he's visiting them in their dreams. I, I, I think that because scripture teaches God loves all people and he desires that they all would come to him, uh, what wouldn't God do in order to have people believe in him? I mean, he, he sent us into the world as his followers. He's visiting people in dreams and in visions in, in the Bible times, but, but currently he's doing that. People are coming to know Jesus in so many different ways because he loves them. He loves them, and he knows who would respond if given the opportunity. Now, someone will say, okay, well, what about before Jesus? How were people saved prior to Jesus coming? I mean, they didn't even know the name Jesus. They didn't even know who he was or exactly what he was going to do. And this is an important point for us. Um, People have always been saved, Old Testament, New Testament. People have always been saved through believing in God's provision for them. That's the, that's the key, believing in God's provision for you. Uh, Genesis 15, 1 through 6, God comes to Abraham, right? And he makes promises to him about giving him descendants and, and all of these things. And it says in Genesis 15, 6, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham trusted in God's provision for him, and God accounted it to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham's belief is what gave him righteousness. The same with us. My belief in Jesus, in the provision that's been given for me, brings righteousness. Jesus can pay the penalty, has paid the penalty, and can offer us his righteousness in return. People have always been saved through believing in God's provision for them. Now, in this time period, the only way to be saved is to believe in Jesus. That's what scripture says. Because we do know about him, that's what people must do. But if there is someone out there who who is looking around and seeing um, just uh, natural theology, natural revelation, right? Thinking, man, somebody had to make this forest. Somebody had to make this ocean. Who is that? 
And if that person's out there and they're seeking God, uh, it's very difficult for me to believe that God wouldn't in some way send a missionary to them or visit them in a dream and tell them who he is. If they're truly contemplating and seeking who this creator is, God will move because his desire is that all men would be saved. Now, why do people go to hell? If God wants all people to be saved and if there has been atonement made for all people, why do people go to hell? And this is a common objection to Christianity. People will ask, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? That makes no sense. It seems like he's maniacal. It seems that he likes uh, torturing people for fun, and that's why he sends people to hell who don't agree with his ideas. Well, that's not exactly true either. You see, a lot of people have misconceptions about what Christianity teaches, and so let's talk a little bit about hell, what it is, and why people go there. First of all, um, it's, it's clear in the Bible that hell exists. Jesus talks about hell in all of the Gospels, talks about it multiple times. Other scriptures talk about hell, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, Hebrews 9, Revelation 20. Um, the, the belief in this place of torment, this, this place of eternal fire, is, is clearly stated throughout scripture. So naturally, the question arises, why would God make a place like this? Why would God send people into this horrible place? Well, uh, I don't believe that God does send people into hell. And now before you turn off your podcast and you say, oh man, this guy's crazy. He doesn't believe that people go to hell. That's not what I said. I, I believe people go to hell, but I don't believe that God sends them there. Uh, and, and listen to my reasoning behind this. Um, what does God desire for the fate of human beings? I think that's an important question. You remember when he made Adam and Eve, he made everything very good. He wanted them to have dominion, to rule and to reign over creation, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have creative power, to make little image bearers of their own like he had created us in his image and likeness. And as you know, sin entered the picture and we messed everything up. But God's been on a, uh, a redemption plan, uh, a way to reconcile us, to fix our problem, and to bring us back into a relationship with him and to restore what we destroyed. Uh, in Ezekiel eighteen twenty three and 32, this is what God says. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Again, in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die? That's God's heart, even towards the wicked. He doesn't want human beings to be destroyed. He didn't, he didn't create death. He didn't want us to go that route, and yet we chose to by our disobedience to him. Other scriptures that talk about how much God loves us, right? John 3.16, uh, 1 John 2.2 2, that talks about how Jesus isn't only our propitiation, but he's the propitiation for the whole world. John 12.32 talks about Jesus saying that he must be lifted up so that he might draw all men to himself. And 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
So if God desires all men to be saved and he draws all men to himself, why do people go to hell? It doesn't seem like God is sending the wicked there. He doesn't delight in that. He wishes that they would repent. He wants them to turn back. But if people make a free choice to reject the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf, God respects their choice and he won't force them to be with him. Now this is a really important point. God respects rejection. And this is this is big for us because God is dignifying humanity through respecting our choices. G.K. Chesterton talked about hell, and, and in a quote I want to read for you, he said this, Hell is a monument to human freedom, and we might add human dignity. Hell is God's tribute to the freedom he gave each of us to choose whom we would serve. It is a recognition that our decisions have a significance that extends far down into the reaches of foreverness. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters, uh, he said this about hell. He said, The gates of hell are locked from the inside. You see, the truth of it is, is not that God sends people to hell. He doesn't desire that people would go to hell. He actually did everything he could to keep people out by sending Jesus to die in our place, to give us his righteousness. So why do people go to hell? Because God respects rejection. Because God allows people to make choices that matter. Because this is a serious world that we live in, and the decisions that we make here will ring into eternity. Hell is a place of self-exile. A place of self-exile. Another way that God respects uh, persons is by honoring our free and autonomous choices, even if our choices are wrong. Uh, if, if you love somebody, if you love somebody and they don't want it, they don't want to date you, right? If you're a guy out there pursuing a girl and she's just not interested, there, there's a couple of choices you have. You can either show her how much you care and woo her, right? Buy her things, be kind to her, right? That's, that's what you can do. Um, but if she rejects you, even at that point, even after you, you do your best in pursuing her and showing, you, showing her how much you care... If she rejects you at that point, you've only got two options. You can either respect the rejection and the most loving thing you can do is accept that she doesn't want you or you can kidnap her, right? I, I don't see another option. But forcing yourself on somebody who doesn't want you, forcing your love on them, that's not loving. That's abusive. That's, that's hateful. And God doesn't do that to us. He respects our decisions. He respects the choices we make. So not only does his justice need to be served in the fact that if people don't have Christ's righteousness, um, they, they aren't fit for heaven. If they don't possess eternal life, they aren't the type of people that can exist there. He can't allow unregenerate people who are still in their sin to be in a place of perfection. But he also loves them enough to accept that they don't want him. He, he's the true gentleman. God is a true gentleman. So his justice and his love are why he allows people to uh, lock the doors of hell from the inside, to choose to go there on their own. Why would he force somebody who doesn't want him in this life to have to spend all of eternity with him?
It, it, it makes no sense. I've thought often about the idea when people say, you know, all roads lead to heaven, right? And it sounds like a really loving and inclusive idea. But think about this. If all roads lead to the same place, if all religions are basically the same idea and they lead to this eternal uh, destiny that we all must go to, um, you, you really don't have a choice in the matter, right? You really don't have a choice at all. If all of us are going to the same place, what about those who don't want to go there? <laughs> what about those who don't want to end where the road leads? Well, I'm sorry. You, you have no choice. There is no respect to your decisions. Um, e even my decision as a Christian, if all roads lead, I can't get out of this system. Everything is determined for me, and I'm going to have to be in a place that maybe I don't want to be. That doesn't sound very loving. It doesn't sound very respectful of human choice. It doesn't dignify human will. And so the all roads lead argument I think just falls flat. It sounds good, but when you really think about it, people are forced, even against their will, to go to a place where everybody must go, where everyone must be. So to recap kind of what the Christian idea is about this is that no, no human being is innocent. Everybody is guilty of their crimes against God. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We come up with catchphrases for it like, well, no one's perfect. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the point. No one is perfect. And because of that, we are unfit to be with a perfect God. Jesus came and he paid our penalty. He died on the cross for our sins and he offers us his righteousness in exchange for our brokenness, his perfection in exchange for our crimes, our sin, our perversion. And if you believe that, if you trust in that truth, you say, I'll accept that. Yes, yes, that's true. You died for me. You died in place of me. And you're offering me eternal life. Lord, I want that. Then you're saved. Then you're in. Then your destiny is heaven because you've been regenerated. You've been adopted as a child of God. And you're on your way to, to an amazing life. You're on your way to an amazing place with Jesus, with God for all eternity. But there's no other way to that destination. Uh, there's no other way to reconciliation with God other than through the provision that he's given. But the choice is up to you. Do you want to trust in God's provision for you, which is Jesus, or do you want to reject that and have God respect your rejection? When you do that, there is no other place to exist in other than hell. There is no other eternal destiny. There's nowhere else to go. And so I would implore any of you, if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, uh, you need to. It's the most important decision you will make in this life and in the life to come. It's the most important choice for your eternity. So make that decision to believe in what Jesus did for you. God is loving. God cares about you. He, he moved heaven and earth in order to come here and to take on humanity and to die for your sin. And he's imploring you and he's wooing you to himself and he's showing you his goodness and he's reaching out through his church, through people that he's sending out and imploring you, believe in me, repent, turn back, trust me, trust that I am who I say I am and that I did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Today, I, I hope you will make that choice. 
if you haven't. If you have, remember that we've got a tremendous job to do to go out and tell people this good news that God has provided a way out of our problem, out of this condition of brokenness and sin. Thanks so much uh, for joining us today on the podcast. I know that this was a, a little headier than normal, and there was a lot of quotes in Scripture, but it's a, it's a very important topic to discuss. Uh, it's a common objection that a lot of us face on why does God send people to hell? Well, he doesn't. What about the unevangelized? What about people who didn't have the chance? Well, I think God gives them the chance. I, I really do. And so I hope this has been beneficial to you. I hope it builds you up in your faith. I hope that it pushes you to think through these tough issues a little bit more and that um, at doing so, you, you'll be better equipped to go out and to reach the world for Jesus. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Uh, I am really grateful for all of you who, who listen on iTunes and SoundCloud and Spotify. Uh, it's encouraging to know that we're adding value and, and that... Um, we're encouraging you in the Lord and that we're, we're helping equip you to go out and reach your world for Christ. It's, it's really a cool thing to see that, that you, the listener, find value in what we're doing here. Uh, like I said before, if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do that. Uh, you're not going to want to miss some of the upcoming episodes that we have. I'm really excited about that and uh, hope that you will listen in. Thanks again for listening today. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.